This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on water. Washer and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. The experts at web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. We are the Blaze Radio Network. I am Jay Severin, your partner. Thank you for that. Thank you in advance for something else as part of this very short preface. I wish to start an extraordinary program with an extraordinary question to you, to you directly. It is an existential question. It is literally among the questions of Trump and Hillary and twerking and all these things which are undoubtedly of import to us as American earthlings. This is truly an existential question. That is, appertaining directly to our existence. Your continued existence, mine, our families. I wish to start with a question. Can we ever end this story I'm about to tell you? Can we ever end it? And if so, how? Have you any idea, any ideas, any notions, suggestions, how? We're together on 1-888-900-3393. and via Twitter, at J-A-Y underscore Severin. At approximately 2.20, a.m. Eastern Time, as many of us slept, although I was <clears throat> lucky or unlucky in my peculiar habit of listening in a pod in my ear to the BBC World Service on radio as I drift in and out of sleep. 
I somehow heard a keyword or something. I think I was asleep or quasi asleep, <clears throat> but I heard the first announcement via the BBC. As many of us slept at approximately 2.30 a.m. Eastern time this morning, an ocean away, an ocean we continue to think inoculates us from this. And we get increasingly frequent reminders that we are incorrect in that assumption. As we slept, but as we once again are murderously reminded is only one short plane ride and one maniac away. At any given moment, six, seven hours away from us is what happened at 2.30 a.m. Eastern Time last night. At that time, it was approximately 7.30, 7.45 a.m. in Belgium, the peak of the morning rush hour flight departures at the Brussels-Belgium airport. Casual travelers, businessmen and women, families, students, American servicemen, American Mormon missionaries, everyone with in common one thing, utter innocence. As we slept, most of us, at 2.20, 2.30, 2.40 a.m. Eastern Time. At that very moment, three men, at least three men, arrived at the Brussels airport departures level. And they strolled in with blood-curdling casualness. And mass murder in their immediate plans. These at least three men strolled with three big baggage carts. Two of the men were wearing a single glove, looked like a golf glove. Both of them, one glove, both of them on their left hands. The third man was wearing no gloves. Now, why do I mention the gloves? You either already know or you're about to be intrigued. The three strolled with their baggage carts. And we now, by the way, no intrigue is necessary here. The glove was first, as I know, nailed by the extraordinary Catherine Harridge, uh, our friend, a friend of the show. Catherine Harridge, a great reporter for Fox News, looked at that picture and said, you see those gloves? Well, first of all, see. See the gloves. See Ahmed? See the gloves. See Ahmed wear the gloves. Why does Ahmed wear the glove? One. Each of them on each hand. 
because Catherine said, I look at this and it tells me it is hiding a dead man switch. It is hand. It is hiding a plunger. It is it is camouflaging a device whereby if that hand is disturbed in a manner other than the human being, sorry, wearing it, it immediately sets off his deadly cargo. <clears throat> These men strolled with their deadly baggage carts. The third man, apparently a cell boss, a minder, what's called a steerer, someone who's there to make sure that the actual suicide bombers complete their task. Ostensibly, he's there to be human intelligence for them, to say, here, I've, I've advanced this. So here, you go here, you go here. The other reason, of course, is to just make sure that they go through with it. Uh, I don't know exactly how they enforce that, but that's what I'm told by intelligence specialists is the idea. Let me give you an asterisk here. How do I know what I'm telling you? I don't. I... I am reporting to you everything other than that which I label otherwise as my opinion or conjecture is the sum total of my prodigious listening, online activity, BBC TV, BBC Worldwide Radio listening since about 2.15 or 20 a.m. this morning. I never went back to bed. I know what's been reported. I can tell you, and I'm about to, everything that's been reported. I can't vouch for anything other than to tell you I'm reporting to you what was reported by experts. I was not there this time. You and your family were not there this time. This time. They strolled with their luggage carts <clears throat> and their steerer, their minder, to their targets. That first target was counter number six. That's the American Airlines ticket counter at the Brussels, Belgium airport. The first man with the black glove steered his luggage cart to the American Airlines counter where there were already suffocating lines, it being the peak of the departure hour, for a flight to the United States, by the way. The target number two terrorist was steered to a second location, and this is a location that stands between the American Airlines counter and the only nearby exit, the sliding glass doors, if you wanted to quickly or otherwise get out of that immediate vicinity. You know what was in the way? You know what was between the American Airlines counter and the front doors? A Starbucks coffee shop jammed 
it being approximately 7.30 a.m. Brussels time, jammed with customers. When the two suicide bombers split up, one rolled to counter six, American Airlines, and the other in traditional Al-Qaeda ISIS style, set up between target one, target two, and the only way out of the place. And then in traditional ISIS style, the first mass murderer set off his suitcase bomb and himself, which we now know, the bomb, included nails and metal parts, proving the cruelest motive. Those of us in the Boston area remember with hideous particularity the use of metal scraps and metal parts and nails and bolts and nuts in a bomb because of what it does, what it it is designed to do other than kill to the survivors with regard to the lower extremities. In traditional ISIS style, what happened next is not just a Belgian, not just a European, but, and not just an international, but also a literally American murder story, the gruesome details of which you must know, and nextly, you shall. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. On the Blaze Radio Network. And again, I ask you to stick with me as I share with you the gruesome story of the day and start with a literally and and sincerely existential question. How do we ever stop? Can we ever stop? A repetition of the story I'm about to continue telling you unless unless people voluntarily stop. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how we stop it. Three men casually rolled up this morning at the peak of rush hour at the Belgium uh, Brussels Belgium airport. One went to the American Airlines counter with a suitcase bomb full of nails. The other one went to the Starbucks which was between the American Airlines counter and the only proximate exit. The first guy set off his bomb uh, immediately killing several 
and maiming many, those alive and conscious and able to flee, stampeded, running for the front door, exactly as these scumballs, I'm sorry, these Islamist, Islamist radicals had planned, these mass murdering Islamists, exactly as they had planned in what is a classic style, which was uh, actually started in North Africa in the Battle of Algiers many years ago, but we won't go into that. This is a sequential targeting uh, system. This is, you set off a bomb, number one, and you wait for the second one, whether it's a, a car driving into the scene packed with explosives, or it's a timer, or it's a plunger, or it's radio equipped, whatever. You set off bomb number one, you wait long enough for first responders and crowds and police to arrive and fill the scene, helping survivors. Then you set off the second bomb. This was a form of that. I didn't need experts to tell me this. This I knew. And as soon as people stampeded, who had survived the first explosion, stampeded toward the front door, having to pass the Starbucks. That is when the Islamist fanatic purposefully triggered his suicide vest, instantly killing several and maiming and critically wounding perhaps 100 or more. A second unused suicide vest would soon be found by investigators a couple hundred feet away, discarded, as would throughout this day. Europe is five hours ahead of us. It's 8.30 p.m. according to our Eastern time right now. A couple hundred feet away, the authorities would find an unused suicide vest, And they would also find, and by controlled detonation, explode other bombs, like suitcase bombs, one on a big college campus in the middle of Brussels, another in a business location. And those are the only ones we, I'm sorry, those are the ones we were told about. There are rumors of several, the significance of which is fairly obvious, and that is they built a fair number of devices. They had time, space, money, expertise, the network. They had what they needed to build several devices, some of them crude, some of them tremendously sophisticated. People lay dying and dead on the floor of the Brussels-Belgium airline terminal. School children, 12-year-olds, on a school trip. An American serviceman and his family. Eight American Mormon missionaries based in Utah. Just as that smoke was clearing, a little less than 
they say 40 minutes later. It was still the peak of the subway or metro, as it's known in Brussels, the subway commuting hour in downtown Brussels. And on a subway line that runs and underneath and stops directly underneath the very small, if you've ever seen it, it's surprisingly compact and small in area. The, if you were to consider Washington, D.C., which itself, when you think about it, the, the important bits are pretty close together, like the Supreme Court building, the congressional office buildings, the senatorial office buildings, the Capitol building, you know, even the White House. Uh, White House being the furthest away, farthest away, but, you know, they're all fairly compact. Well, this metro runs and stops directly underneath our equivalent of the White House and all of those buildings. And packed together in that subway car that stopped the Malbec station, right underneath the head of NATO, the capital of Brussels, the capital of the European nation, the most important destination politically in all of Europe was this one subway stop. And packed together in that ill-fated subway car were men and women and students and government workers on their way to their offices. And that's when the Islamists detonated the second bomb. More about which in a moment. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. I am Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. You are my partners, my friends, my dear radio family. And today we we must all grieve for all of us. As it turns out, yesterday was the happy show of the week. I know we have politics to catch up on, and uh, we will. I don't know if we will today, but we will. You know that. You'll still hear it first and right here on the Blaze Radio Network. Today, a message was sent, and it's important, I think, despite our begrudging reception, that we do receive it. This was a message sent to the international community, to all the devils of the world, of whom we are chief devil. At the peak of rush hour at the Brussels-Belgium airport, Islamist terrorists killed many and maimed many more, including Americans, including children, babies. Then police miraculously discovered other explosive devices and detonated them harmlessly throughout the day throughout Brussels at the airport and other places. But at approximately 7.30 a.m. Brussels time, their time this morning, about 2.30 our time, Eastern, 
First bomb went off at the airport about 80 miles away, just downtown in Brussels, the most single most important subway stop in terms of being underneath and next to the headquarters of NATO, the headquarters of the European nation, the capital of, of, of the nation of Belgium, of every important lobbyist, every important government official, everybody. That subway car at the peak of the subway car rush hour was bombed about 45 minutes later, killing many, twice as many in one subway car has been ki- as had been killed at the airport and maiming another 150 or so, many of them very critically. The Islamic mass murderer score for their work this morning According to BBC World Service, as we went to air, you and I went to air together today, 37 minutes ago, and which I've been monitoring web, TV, and radio, as well as, of course, The Blaze and Fox and CNN and and everything I could get my hands on since 2.30 this morning. Shop opened early this, a little early this morning. And it hasn't uh, shut down. What's the score? According to BBC, 34 dead. And please forgive me for my morbidity, but the nature of the injuries and the history of such injuries prove to us that 34 dead will not stand. But right now, 34 dead. And are you ready for this? The number of seriously wounded in many, many cases maimed to the point of intensive care. The number of wounded, 230 plus. 34 confirmed dead, 230 plus confirmed wounded. And so ISIS strikes again. That is to say radical Islam, Islam, Islamists, Islamists did what these sick bastards do. They love death more than we love life. And so they murder the innocent. Did I mention there was a group of 12-year-old school children on a school trip among those at the airport? So, too, at least 10-plus Americans, including nine Mormon missionaries home-based in Utah, plus an American service, active service member, and his family. And the use of the traditional sequential strike, where you strike a place and then wait half an hour and strike the same place so that you can quadruple your casualties, or you strike a place and you know you are hurting the survivors, you're funneling them into a certain guaranteed location, and then that's where you set off the second device, thus tripling or quadrupling your innocent victims. What was one of the most macabre but fascinating elements of this was when 
the investigators and the real pros started to weigh in. And that would have been at about 8 o'clock this morning, 9 o'clock this morning. I don't drink coffee. I was on my fourth cup. Uh, uh, My hair was standing up. Well, it does that anyway. But uh, when they started to weigh in with what they thought this meant and what their 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 theories were, especially when Catherine Harridge of Fox showed the picture. That was a couple hours later. The picture that the authorities released to the public showing three men, two dressed all in black, each with a black glove on their left hand, each pushing a standard uh, trolley, uh, airport trolley, and then a third man who was very obviously camouflaged. He had on a hat pulled deep over his head, he had on glasses, and what appeared to be a nose so fake that it was either the cheapest putty that you could possibly buy, or like it was was plastering putty, or or it was... (coughs) Like one of those fake noses that you buy in a joke shop. I'm not kidding. Or or it was uh, one of those things you see like ancient men using that attaches to their glasses so they don't sunburn their nose. I mean, the color of this guy's and size of this guy's nose, but just the color based on the rest of his uh, his complexion. Was so obviously it looked like looked like a clown like a clown show. I think there was probably a wig too involved. In any case, it was it is it will be. It does curdle your blood when you look at this picture of these guys strolling along, knowing that seconds after this picture was taken. No, no, no. What will chill your blood is that the instant this photograph was taken, two of these three men knew they were taking their last steps on earth and they were doing so in order to murder as many innocent people as possible. What makes this chilling and why I think still photographs can be far more chilling than video is this captures the final moments of somebody's life, and somehow it's all the more grotesque that it's the bad guys. Here they are, and they appear to be having casual conversation on their way to blow up children. Again, the theory is that the gloved hands masked a dead man switch, a plunger, something that uh, would would uh, typically be used, and that the third uh, scumball was the traditional escort. He was camouflaged because it was the intention of the plan, as is traditional, that he would live. He would steer them to the pre-designated locations that he had scouted. Then he would take off, but not too far away, to wait to see that the job was done. And he would give them some signal or there would be some prearranged time or location. He is the one presumed to be at large, plus maybe other people. As we went to air, you and I today, uh, there are stories of helicopters over neighborhoods in Brussels looking at 
particular places for particular people. In the middle of all this, may I may I again mention, because I started with a question, I'm not going to lay off it, even if no one tries to answer it, because it's the only question. I mean, there are many questions far smarter than mine, but the only one that occurred to me is, can we ever stop this? Given the way this happened, can we ever stop this? And if so, how? I did receive, and I want to try and, and find it uh, so that I can, was it was it Wolf? Um, oh, wait, I know how to find it. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you the credit in a moment when I find it, but someone said, the only way you stop this, well, Warren said, Israel's been dealing with this from day one. As long as fanatics are willing to die for Allah, it will never stop. And here it is. It's Dave. Forgive me, Dave. It's Dave P. who said, we stop terrorism by making a single decision. You must become more brutal toward your enemy than they are willing to be to you. That's from Dave and sign me up. Jay, the Impaler. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back on, look, it's a very upsetting day and I can't try to hide that. Islamist fanatics, sorry for the redundancy, uh, here on the Blaze Radio Network, one 888 with the standing question, can this ever be stopped? Can, can mass murder like this, can terrorism especially of this sort, given the model I've described to you today in horrific detail. Forgive me for that, too. But everything I have understood and distilled since about 2.15 a.m. Eastern Time this morning is what we've been discussing on the show so far. Can it ever be stopped? Where, where Use this model. You don't have to, but, for instance, using this model, where would these guys have been stopped? Well, if it was Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, they would have been stopped in the parking lot. Not stopped, but they would have been first encountered. They would have been engaged first before they entered the building. And then, of course, if you've ever flown on uh, El Al, especially out of Israel, you, you will know that a profiling session, sometimes extremely short, sometimes longer, will have occurred such that the best probably human intel service in the world, because they know people are trying to kill them for real every day since they've been in existence. They have a lot of practice. The Jews are awfully good at this. They have to be, 
or there would be no more Jews. You might say that Mossad has, how much experience does Mossad have in profiling terrorists? Well, 10,000 years? Who was the first Mossad agent? Moses? In the middle of, in the midst of this unspeakable, inhuman carnage, there is, God bless us everyone, almost usually a story of the human heart. There is one here. And may I be forgiven for losing in my notes his name. I'll have it by tomorrow, which is too late, but I'll have it by tomorrow. There is a baggage handler, the guy described by the BBC as a a happy man, happy at his job, who grabs your bag and says good morning and wraps cellophane around it, tapes it, you know, to make sure it's secure and all that if it needs it. He's the last guy to check your bag before it goes up on the on the scale there. He was employed apparently by American Airlines, may have been an employee of the airport, we don't know. But the bombs went off on either side of him, probably 10 meters either side of him. And other than damaging his hearing, the extent of which we don't yet know, uh, he was otherwise physically unharmed. But he was witnessed by a couple of dozen people to have gotten up, wiped the blood off his face, and started dragging bits of the ceiling and the walls off of people and dragging them out of the place one by one. In all, he is reported to have dragged 13 people, many of them already dead, many of them without limbs, many of them dying. He said he witnessed three, four, or five people die in his arms as he was pulling them to safety. In the midst of this carnage was human love. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, we are the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Jay Severin. You are my partners. Every once in a while, something more important than or a different dimension of the Civics Circus Maximus requires our attention, I believe. I hope I'm right. I can only hope you agree. Today is one of those days. Today is a day that the most twisted evil forces of darkness, and no, I don't mean Obama in Cuba, but we will get to that, I hope. Today, the most twisted, fevered, sickest Islamic forces of darkness on earth 
which threaten us more than any other mortal thing that we otherwise already have to worry about, made an announcement. And this time it happened to make it not as close to home as impresses most Americans, but close enough when you look at the means, method, and message that we really ought to be paying attention. No? Veritas. Today, as we were sleeping, about 2.20 a.m., 2.20 to 2.40 a.m. Eastern Time, at the peak, uh, that would have made it uh, 7.30 a.m. Brussels time. At the Brussels-Belgium airport, the capital of Europe, the middle of Europe, politically, physically. At the Brussels-Belgium airport, it was rush hour. People were queued up at the American Airlines counter number six. And Islamic terrorist number one exploded his uh, suitcase bomb filled with nails, killing many and maiming a hundred triggered his bomb and everyone fled for the exits and in order to get to the exits they had to go by the Starbucks coffee where the second terrorist detonated his bomb which killed many and maimed maybe another hundred I don't we don't know yet nine Mormon no eight Mormon American missionaries based in Utah an American serviceman and his family uh, school kids, European school kids, 12-year-olds, 12-year-olds on their way together on a school trip. The evil is incomprehensible. And now, of course, they look for the people who did this, but the true answer to this is they will look and they may find but they found uh, slob, slab hammy the other day. And what did that do? I think all of us felt the other day that a lot of us were feeling faux relieved. So they grabbed this one aardvark looking some beach and all of a sudden, whoo, well, we got him. So, all right. We got the guy who masterminded, so to speak, the Paris slaughter. So that's a load off our minds. Well, if there's any relationship between having grabbed uh, slobby slab hammy, it was probably that this plan was accelerated. I've heard no expert say other than this thing was not planned in two days. The bombs were not built in two days or three days or four days. This was on the rails. This was going to happen. It was a question of when. If anything, probably the apprehension of slob slab hammy accelerated the date. Probably, if anything, the statements by slob slam hammy's attorney that he's cooperating with authorities was probably more probably than not, a 
a signal, a prearranged signal, which terrorists are well drilled in to say, okay, you know, if, if the lawyer says this, you do this. If my lawyer says this, you do nothing. If my lawyer says this, you do that. I don't know. I don't know that the experts know. I just know that today, radical Islam reached out its withered, ugly, hateful, vile hand and strangled the life out of innocent people again. This time it wasn't in Boston, it wasn't in San Bernardino, it wasn't in New York City, it wasn't in North America. And because it wasn't, this story is going to go away by Wednesday. What's today, Tuesday? It's going to go away by Thursday. Oh, you'll see it, but no one's going to bed tonight worried about it. For the same reason, to a lesser degree, why on 9-11-2001, If you lived in New York, New Jersey, and I, yes, I am re-quoting myself. This is the Guru Jay. This is Severin Doctrine. This is the proximity theory. This is the archer's target theory. You know the archer's target, the bullseye, the classic bullseye with the different colors and the circles? If you lived near the bullseye, you were traumatized. However close to the bullseye you lived, and by lived I mean if you lost someone you love or you resided physically near the bullseye. The nearer the bullseye, you had a connection of some kind, family, home, work, psychologically, something. You could have been there. You you were just there. You were planning to go. Whatever connection anybody ever has to the bullseye, to the target, the closer you are to the bullseye, the more you care, the more it bothers, affects, troubles you. The farther out from the middle of the bullseye that you quote-unquote live, and again, we are broad broadly defining live here, okay, where your heart is, where your soul is, where you are, who you are, what you are, who they were, where you live, where they lived, when they lived, however close to you they lived, or you to them, determines how close to the bullseye you are. If you are close to the bullseye, you are traumatized. If, however, you live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and no attack here against New Mexico, nor even against the lingering hippies in Santa Fe. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you live in New Mexico, the night of 9-11-2001, you slept better than if you physically lived in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut. And if you lived in downtown New York, you slept far less easily than people who lived in New Jersey and Connecticut. And, needless to say, and so it follows, that if you lost your business partner, 
you slept far less easily than people who merely reside three blocks away from ground zero. And it goes without saying that if you lost your father or mother or brother or son or sister or daughter or lover or son, then you slept never again, never again the way you'll sleep prior to 9-11, even if you lost your business partner, because all of those gradations moves one closer to the center of the bullseye. Closer to the center of the bullseye, the more you are at once and permanently affected. Farther out from the bullseye, the less, least, you are immediately and forever affected by the trauma. Okay? Google map that and draw it out now big time to the satellite shot. Today, the people who live to take the lives of the people you love most. It's really what they live for. The people who live for death, the people who live to snuff out the lives of those you love most, fired their arrow, and it landed on the target, but the target was that outer yellow or blue circle. It was awful because it hit the target, and it killed a lot of people. But it didn't hit Santa Fe, and it didn't hit anywhere you're calling from today, and it didn't hit Cape Ann, Massachusetts, and it didn't hit anywhere where you live. It hit where other people for whom we earnestly profess sympathy, empathy, and we do. But it's just a fact of life, is it not? This story will not be the lead story another 36 hours. I'll be surprised if it's the lead story another 14 hours. Because wherever you quote-unquote live, it didn't hit near your, nor my, bullseye. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And my partners on the Blaze Radio Network, Gabe from the great, great state of Texas. Gabe, thank you for your patience. No problem, Jay. I was just curious as to your thoughts on the bullseye effect for not necessarily people that uh, live or call Europe home, but for people that frequent the land of Europe in business or if they have the time for leisure. And you know, what What would you say to people that, that really take a lot of time in Europe and the safety of, of themselves and their families? Oh, I don't, this is a very, I. Uh, it's a great question, Gabe, and I'm horrified by your question only because your very good question suggests, <clears throat> very deftly, suggests that I may misunderstand how people take my Severin bullseye theory doctrine. And it's breathtaking to me because I don't want it to be misunderstood. That would be awful if were it misunderstood. It's a very 
benign theory. And by that, I mean, I don't mean to criticize. There, there's not a critical molecule in that. It's a totally observational, you know, it's like Margaret Mead among the Samoans. It's anthropology. It's sociology. It's social science, some science, right? But it's merely an observation and a truth that I, I, I think I observe. It's not to in any way be subjective about it. That is to say, if you're a thoughtful person and you are a resident of Fiji, or Prince Edward Island, Canada, or Tasmania. You want to pick a place? <laughs> you know, Tokyo. Uh, you know, if if you're a thoughtful person, you stayed awake, weeping, the night of nine eleven, or at least worrying, or you because your placement on the bullseye is totally self-generated only you can decide there are some sort of automatic inclusionary triggers like obviously if you lost a family member right correct hello right if you lose a family member you're in you know unless you really hated that family member you know unless there's something weird going on if you lost someone you love for any reason you're automatically in the bullseye. If you if you lost anybody you care about, if there was a loss you care about, if the mere notion of what it means to have those buildings come down, if you're living on Fiji and watching Sky News and you see those buildings come down, realizing there are humans in those buildings, humans you will never know, have never known, could have never known, but the mere sight of it, the mere sight, the mere notion of the tragedy of terrorism makes you worried or makes you sad, you can be in the bullseye. So it's not for me. I, 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 I hope. And I, again, I thank very grateful for your question because it makes me sensitive to the notion that it could sound like I'm making that judgment. Good God. No. I mean, the very point of it is no one can make that judgment. The thing that makes it a worthwhile observation in my selfish from my selfish perspective as the author, is that it's exactly that. The range of people who are in or out of the bullseye self-place. It's not up to me. I mean, other than I think there are certain auto triggers, like, you know, you lose your spouse, you lose your sister, you lose your best friend, you lose your business partner, you lose a friend, you lose a child, you, you know, all that, all those automatics. But other than that, I'm not saying you needed, you must have lived in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, or at the Pentagon, or in that field in Pennsylvania, or had someone on the plane that you knew. Everybody qualifies, and nobody can fake it, Gabe. I'm just saying, whoever was troubled by 9-11 was troubled by it. But if we looked at a splash pattern, if we looked at a matrix, a template, an overhead of, uh, of who did care the most, who slept the most poorly, the next night, and for how many nights after that, there would be a blast pattern that emanates geographically or relationship-wise from the bullseye outward. Agreed? 
Yeah, I'd agree. If I could take it a, a step further or in a different go, direction. Go, go, go. Yeah, I've, I've if, yacked a if, lot. If Jay Severin is heading this, the State Department, would you make any recommendation for, say, Americans traveling to these major cities that the Islamic State has said ahead of time several months ago that they would take Paris, that they would take Rome, that they would take America? Would you would you offer any uh, warnings or recommendations as to their travel at these locations at this point? Well, Gabe, we do, don't we? I mean, I, I don't mean to be evasive of your question, uh, and I don't regard it as academic or moot, but technically, I mean, in, in, in court, if I wanted to be evasive, I could say, hey, I don't, you know, why ask me? We do it. So it's, it's a moot question. Our government does do that. We issue formal warnings about travel, and we do it to cover our ass. And we do it in a fairly cheap way. If you looked up the State Department website right now, you you find something that says the State Department of the United States suggests that those uh, considering travel to any of the following locations, and it goes from like Afghanistan to zoo, you know, right. would say you know it recommends you exert extreme caution and vigilance. Be because, you know, we know that there is danger there to Americans particularly. We go through all the motions of saying that, and I'm not saying I'm against it, but clearly we don't have a plan. I mean, be careful if you, you know, it breaks my heart. You know, I've got a, I've got a little girl, and one of the things I always dreamed about doing and I don't know that I would have been able to do it anyway, but in 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 a few years, I would dream to be able to give her a new backpack and a Eurail pass and some money and say, honey, here's your graduation for doing the right thing, for being one of the good kids. Go to Europe. Bum around Europe. See London. See Paris. See Rome. See Prague. See Moscow, if you can. See, you know... I, I would not, not, not only whether or not I could do that, which I probably can't, but um, as I got to do, but I, Gabe, I wouldn't allow her. I wouldn't allow her with less a security team than the president of the United States to make that tour because you can't anymore. That London, that Paris, as I say, look for it only in history books, for it is gone, gone with the wind. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Only on the Blaze Radio Network on a day that's, uh, you know, not a happy day, and I can't hide from that. Um, I've told you everything I know. I mean, I don't know all these questions about the relationship between the capture of slob, slabby, hammy, slappy, ham, slab from the other day. I don't know. And nobody knows, or if they do, they they ain't talking. So we'll find out. I do know America's security system, especially in big cities, is jacked up, if fairly quietly, 
jacked up big time. Or maybe it isn't quietly. I mean, the uh, first communist mayor of New York City, that would be the current mayor of New York City, uh, Bill de Blasio, who is a communist, uh, called a very noisy press conference today to say they were jacking up security, which seems to me to have the opposite effect of jacking up security. But other than that, Obama, your president of the United States. See, I, I wanted to save some things to make us feel better. Obama is on the job. I want you to know that the moment he reportedly learned of this horrific sl- uh, slaughter, he was briefed by uh, one of his teenage daughters, <clears throat> or maybe it was his mother-in-law. And by the way, she is on the trip with him. The only thing that has ever made, and, and I'm blessed, <clears throat> my mother-in-law happens to be, honey, are you listening? No, I don't care if she's listening. My mother-in-law happens to be a saint. And I really, I realize how few people can say that with a straight face. I'm just, I'm, I am, I'm blessed. She's, she's, she's wonderful. Wonderful. It's always been wonderful to me. Anyway, I realize though that's the, not the, usually the case or not generally the case, but <clears throat> Obama's mother-in-law now give it, you guys you must remember this is Michelle's mother. Isn't it bad enough that wherever you go, Michelle is there? Can you imagine everywhere you go, Michelle is there and insists on bringing her mother? Can you only imagine what Michelle's mother is like? In any case, I'm only guessing, but Obama was briefed by somebody and then went to a baseball game, which is where he is right now. He went to a baseball game. I believe that's the last thing he's doing in Habana. And I wonder, would it have been worth it to another president? Would even Hillary Clinton, I'm not going soft on you. She is still a first-class emetic as far as I'm concerned. She is a movement of the bowel variety. I'm not going soft on you with Hillary, but were Hillary president, might even she have flown home as a gesture of solidarity, you know, the symbolic value of returning home to sort of man the fort, tell Americans, I know this stuff is spooky and I know you don't like it and we all feel uneasy and sad about it and worried, frankly, selfishly worried. And and I want you to know that we're, you know, we're everyone's at the switches. Everyone's in their office. I'm not pretending we can stop it or control it immediately, but we're all manning the switches. We're all here. We're all, isn't that what a president of the United States and a commander in chief does? And I know that it's many times symbolic, but is not the symbolic value in doing that often really, really worth it? I mean, because we we can't be fixed right away, but we might be, you know, we might feel better 
we might be propped up a little. And sometimes if that's all the presidency can do for us, isn't that, you know, isn't that a good thing? Anyway, Obama's at the ball game. Um, Ted Cruz today gave an interview in which he said, and by the way, there's still time. I'm not ignoring anyone, I hope. Uh, there is time for phone call. There, there remains time for phone calls. If you have a comment, question, complaint, observation, uh, bon mot, uh, otherwise you believe is a contribution to our show or an answer, however unusual or tentative to the existential question, can we ever stop such terror as we saw today. Taking today as a model, can could this ever have been stopped? Can we ever stop it so long as someone wants to do it? one 888 You'll be the call everyone remembers. one 888 Yes, yeah, just my dog. He doesn't, one of them, doesn't really need me. I have sliding wooden doors. He just like noses, he puts a minuscule crack in the door and then noses it, noses it, noses it, noses it back and forth until he's got enough to put his nose in it. And then he bangs his head back and forth until the doors slide open and he walks out. You don't really need me again until six o'clock, do you? Dinner time. Anyway, Obama's at the ball game. And uh, Obama went to the ball game after shaming, naming, and apologizing for America's faults yet again. You, perhaps you'll hear the sound bites. You won't hear them on CNN. You might hear them on Fox. Uh, Glenn will play them for you. The Glenn and the lads will play them for you. Uh, uh, Buck might play them for you. You know, they're, Dana. They're, 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 you'll hear them, but but you won't you won't hear them on, say, CNN or CBS, NBC, ABC. Obama stood up there today before all of the VIPs, both of the VIPs in Cuba, in, in, in that infested swamp. If the world has an armpit, one of them is Cuba, okay? You know how you like, I can't believe all these people, wow, we can visit Cuba. Visit Cuba? If I visit Cuba, I mark me on this. I mark me on this. If God, if I ever set foot in Cuba, may I be in Guantanamo Bay prison. Because I know I will get better food, better service, better accommodations. I know I will not have dysentery. I know I will not eat crap. I know I will not get my throat cut. I know that there will people be people there who speak English. God, if I ever set foot on the island of Cuba, let it be in Guantanamo prison. I could be happy there. I, I wouldn't be happy, but I'd be least unhappy in Guantanamo than I would be anywhere else in Cuba. Please don't ever let me go there or be there. If I ever win anything that gives me a trip to Cuba, please let the cash value be at least 50 bucks or something so I can at least get something like takeaway dinner for my family. Don't, don't ever make me go to Cuba. Anyway, 
Everyone can't wait to go there. But Obama, our president, was there today, again, to name, shame, and apologize and kiss a dictator's communist buttocks for our faults. And he said in front of both Cuban VIPs today at a theater, like Cuba, America was born on the slave trade. Huge hand. Like Cuba, America, and of course, we have nothing, as far as I'm concerned, we have nothing in common with Cuba. We have one gift from Cuba, two if you smoke cigars. The gift we have is great Cuban Americans. That we have. But other than that, no thanks. But in any case, Obama today couldn't wait to name, shame, and apologize for all the things wrong with America. By the way, as to the terrorism this morning, just a P.S., Ted Cruz made a statement. I watched him make it. He said, I will be, if I am elected commander-in-chief, I will be a commander-in-chief. It is, and I will say it is, a war that this is World War III. This is a quote. This is World War III. And we are at war against Islamist terrorists. As president, I will be a commander-in-chief, and we will wipe them out. We will find them and kill them. That's what I want to hear from a prospective president of the United States. And he also said, we must keep Syrian refugees out of our country for reasons you already know, because they are absolutely like the, the, the most unfortunate abandoned dog in the world who, when saved, that's the good part, is full of fleas. That's how full of fleas, fleas being terrorists, the Syrian refugees are. We know in advance that they are infested to the gills with ISIS mass murderers. And they cannot be vetted. And one of the most sadly hilarious matters of politics in our time, this moment in which we live, is that you have a some a president of the United States saying, don't worry, we won't let them in unless they're vetted. And everyone in the world with an IQ larger than their waist size, wait a second, I better pick another article of clothing. It would have been different 20 years ago. Uh, anybody with an IQ, you know, in double digits knows that that is an impossibility. There's nothing to check. You know the San Bernardino killers? She listed a completely fabricated address in Pakistan. Yet Obama claims they were vetted. Gee, despite our vetting, they still got in. So she put down one, two, three, Roman Catholic Street in Nabarabad, Pakistan. As it turns out, there is no one, two, three Roman Catholic Street, but no one checked. Now, we're luckier there than we are in the other cases because you could try. You could, if you tried, find out there's no such thing as one, two, three Roman Catholic Street. But they didn't even try. And for all of these other people, 
You can't comb the database. There is no base. There are no data. It's like Turtle Bay. It's like my hero Kurt Vonnegut said about Turtle Bay. It's a section of Manhattan. There are no turtles. There is no bay. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. So, uh, best and brightest on the Blaze Radio Network, uh, it is Western Primary Day. I know. Wait, can you try to stifle your excitement? So, we're going to hear from uh, Utah and Arizona. The play on that right now is that Ted Cruz had very much counted on doing well, i.e. better, i.e. than anyone else in Arizona. And then the big surprise would be Utah. If he could get 50% of the vote in Utah, a winner-take-all, he would get, I think it's 40, 40, 43 delegates, and it would be a big deal. It could be a very big day today for Ted Cruz. The problem is, uh, for Ted and those of us who support Ted, is that Trump appears to be doing better in Arizona than first expected. And so now, instead of kind of a bonus situation for Ted, with Arizona backed up by Utah, now it looks like, to me, it looks like Ted is really scrambling for Utah in order to offset what could be a disappointing showing in Arizona. And at this point, let's face it. I mean, I think, I think we're whistling in the wind here. If, if somebody, and by that, I mean, Ted Cruz, who I support, if Ted doesn't start, you know, really catching up to Trump and you've got, Kasich, who? Exactly. Kasich, who? Exactly. If Kasich stays in this thing and prevents Ted from catching up to Trump, what we've got is what we've got. What you're looking at is what we've got. Now, it's only a couple of states, and they're Western. They'll come in late. They, 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 you know, they'll, Not that much of a fuss will be made, but they are all we've got today. So they'll come in late tonight, and we really won't know till tomorrow. But you will know everything about them tomorrow and what they mean right here on the Blaze Radio Network with me, Jay Severin. And the other reason is not because it's me, Jay, and it's you, the best and brightest. It's because the terrorism wasn't here, so it's not a story anymore. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.